morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast featuring your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. On this episode of the 8311 cast, we're going to be serving you up some breakfast, some hash browns, sausage links, and an egg dropped by the Cyclones men's basketball team. And also talking about this ice cold, amazing, delicious victory orange juice squeezed fresh by the women's basketball team. This is all coming to you on episode 18 of the 8311 cast, where we are now legal to buy tobacco products in 54 states, or 44 states. <laughs> wow. wow! 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 So in other news, states. America just added four new states. <laughs> Surprise! Did Texas exercise that constitutional clause to break up into, like, as many states as they want? Yep, and then California split into NorCal and SoCal. Yeah, go Jefferson. <laughs> Also, what what about orange juice? I, I was following I was, the egg I was trying it, to get like some like not... nice sweet victory, and then orange juice came to my Why head. Why didn't you just start singing sweet, sweet, sweet victory? Because I have the same amount of integrity as the NFL does, which is none. <laughs> For all of our listeners out there, that is zero. The NFL is scum. The no fun league. So. Gave a quick teaser on basketball stuff. Somebody want to fill our viewers in, our listeners in? Yeah, so apparently I'm going to talk about some orange juice that the Cyclone women's basketball team is. I'm not sure how that applies. But anyway, yeah, Cyclone women's basketball team only had one game this week. They were off during the uh, week and had their only game on Saturday where they played number 30 West Virginia. And they uh, beat them pretty handily at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, it was a 16-point victory. The game was never really close in the second half. Little, It was about about 11-point game or so at halftime, but the Cyclones really pulled away at the second half and just didn't really give West Virginia an opportunity. They made a bunch of threes late to make it, you know, even a 16-point game. But in the second half, the outcome was really never in doubt. So it was a really commanding performance by the Cyclone women's basketball team in order to... Uh, to pull to 8-3 and three in the Big 12 now. West Virginia was a very good team, and they had beaten the Cyclones in Morgantown, so it was good to get revenge from that earlier season loss and to cement themselves all alone in third place in the Big 12. Also, for the Cyclone women, Kirsten Scott has just been an absolute monster over the last three weeks. Over the last three weeks, she's averaging 21.6 points a game with nine rebounds per game and one block per game. That's just insane average of somebody who at the beginning of the season wasn't even a starter. At the beginning of the year, I'm pretty sure she was our third center. And now she's our starting center and who's averaged more than 21 points a game over the last three weeks. That's just an insane improvement over the course of the year. And just a testament to how hard she works. She shoots the ball incredibly well for a, uh, for a center. She, uh, she can shoot threes, which is what makes her so useful because she extends the defense out. Uh, makes the uh, makes the bigs of the opponents have to play out to defend the three-point shot, which allows some other players to work inside, leaves driving lanes for Bridget Carlton and Ashley Jones. And it's just all been a huge asset to this team, especially in these last three weeks now that she's gotten a lot more regular playing time than she did at the beginning of the year. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome. to It's been pretty awesome to watch what she's been able to do over the last few weeks. And with that big win over West Virginia... Um, the Cyclones will probably move up a spot or two when the uh, next AP rankings come out. It's going to depends on what uh, what happened in front of them and what the voters think about the uh, think about the quality of a home win over another over another top thirty team. But I could see them moving up another spot or two to stay in the 
about the 20 to 23 range, which is about where they are now. They'll stay right around there. So all around a, a good week for the Cyclone women with uh, with a uh, game at TCU and then a game at home against Oklahoma State coming up in the next week, both which the Cyclones are better than, but a road game at TCU is a little bit of a toss-up, so we'll have to see how the week ahead goes for the Cyclone women, and hopefully next week we'll be reporting another great week for the Cyclone women. On the other hand, the Cyclone men did not have quite as good of a week as the Cyclone women did. This is so the week started pretty well for the Cyclones. They uh, went to Norman and got a got a decent win over Oklahoma. It was close. We needed some clutch shots from uh, Shayok late to be able to uh, to win that game, but we did ho- we did hold off uh, Oklahoma and were able to uh, able to win that game. That was good. Kept us in Big Twelve title race contention. And then came Saturday's game against TCU. Kyle, An you absolute dud against TCU. Um, as as we were at the game uh, performing in the pep band, we kind of noticed that there was not a lot. There was a lack of energy on the team. Uh, it seemed like there was a lack, a little bit of a lack of energy in Hilton, lack of energy in the team, and it really showed when the Cyclones took the court. Uh, from the start, the Cyclones started out playing. Uh, pretty well, knocked down some shots, uh, jumped out to a 13-4 to lead, but went on an extended drought in the early uh, period, like early on in the first quarter or first half. Um, and TCU was able to stretch their lead to a 10-point lead at one point before the Cyclones were forced to call a timeout. And really from there, the game did not get much closer. Uh, at halftime, the Cyclones were down by... 10 7 7 but in the second half the game was uh, the closest the cyclones were able to get within reach was 9 points um TCU just had a response for everything that the uh cyclones were trying to do uh their defense was great the cyclones had way too many turnovers on the court and there was just an overall lack of efficient efficiency in shooting the basketball uh, there were a lot of threes that were not falling, um, as usually happens for the Cyclones. And overall, I think the Cyclones shot under 30% from three in this game, which is very uncharacteristic of this team. And some of the uh, box score stats do show that. So Talon Horton Tucker, who had been uh, performing really well coming into this game, only had four points in this game. And Tyrese Halliburton kind of hasn't made it into – uh, the stat sheet on the in the scoring column um, a lot recently when he only had three points and there was one point in the game where the Cyclones had some momentum and there was a transition three opportunity that Tyrese Halliburton completely passed up when he should have taken it he was open in the corner and he kept passing the ball and it ended up in an Iowa State turnover and that was kind of the story of the game uh, the Cyclones not taking uh chances when they needed them and really not driving to the hoop enough and getting in and scoring layups when they couldn't hit anything from three and getting to the line and making shots from the line. Now the Cyclones were able to get to the line a lot in the second half and free throws weren't much of an issue but rebounding was still a big issue uh, when they were trying to make a comeback. There were a lot of second chance points in the second half for TCU and they were able to dribble out the clock and make this um, a shorter game with fewer possessions, which didn't play in the Cyclones' favor down the stretch. So 
looking ahead, this had uh, this was not a great performance in terms of the Cyclones positioning themselves well in the Big 12 title race. Uh, earlier that week, KU was um, upended by K-State in Manhattan, uh, but was able to get the job done on Saturday and win against Oklahoma State. And uh, so now everybody in the Big 12 is chasing K-State after K-State's taken a game-and-a-half lead uh, in the conference with their win in Waco um, against the Baylor Bears. And Iowa State really had a chance to position themselves either still a half game back uh, in the Big 12 in second place or potentially with a half game lead, uh, depending on the outcome of the Baylor K state game. But that, uh, isn't really, um, an issue anymore as the Cyclones have, uh, fallen into tied for third, second, second right now. So there's a three-way tie for uh, second place right now between Iowa state TC or Texas tech, Iowa state, Texas tech and KU. Uh, for second in the Big 12, so yep, all one all one and a half games behind K State. K State's yep. a full game and a half clear of all of ISU, KU, and Texas Tech, and they are two games clear of Baylor. So K State definitely opened up some separation this week, uh, which is, I mean, good for them, bad for everybody else. Huge win over KU is really what did it for them to uh, give that separation. So it's going to be a really big week upcoming for the uh, Cyclone men's basketball team. They only have one game this week, uh, next Saturday, coming up in Manhattan at K-State. Really, if the Cyclones want to win the Big 12, it's a must-win game. It's as simple as that. If they fall two and, if they fall two and a half games behind K-State with, what would it be? It would probably be six games to go at that point they're not going to be able to overcome a two-and-a-half game deficit with six games left. Especially since, so as of right now, K-State doesn't have a game left on their schedule uh, with an opponent that they haven't beaten already. So K-State, with all their remaining opponents, they have already beaten their opponents remaining once already. Uh, so they'll have big trips to Austin, Texas coming up um, on Tuesday, I believe. They will be playing Texas that's in correct. Austin. Uh, so that's a big game to watch out for for uh title race implications if Texas is able to pull out a win that greatly helps everybody else in the conference and it they will also have another matchup in Lawrence against a Kansas team that is very shorthanded uh, I'm not sure if all of our listeners had kept up on the news LeGerald Vick uh, one of the starters or the mainstay starters on the court for KU's basketball team is uh, indefinitely uh, has taken an indefinite leave of absence from the team to deal with some personal issues. So they don't they're not sure when they'll get him back and so that opens the door even more for another team to uh finally knock off KU so that they don't manage to win four or 15 consecutive 14? titles. It's 15. They've won Is 14. It? Yeah. They're going for number 15 this well, year. Well, they're going to have to vacate last year's. So That's that's good for them. So it won't matter anyway. But, At least that's my prediction. Yeah, so looking ahead, that Saturday matchup, like Mike said, is going to be a huge one in Manhattan. So make sure you tune in your dials and tune in your channels to listen to or watch that game on Saturday. 3 o'clock tip-off. 3 o'clock in Manhattan. I don't know what TV channel it's on, but if you're in the Ames area, you can listen to it on 100.3 FM. So um, transitioning there... It's also my favorite time of year because this week, for every team in Major League Baseball, 
pitches and catches report to spring training, which is literally my favorite time of the year. I love baseball. Those of you who've been listening to this podcast since the start know that baseball is most definitely my favorite sport. So I'm really excited to have pitches and catches report to spring training. To me, that officially marks the start of spring. I don't care when the start of spring actually is. I don't care that Ames is supposed to get like six inches of snow on Monday. When pitches and catches report to spring training, that's officially the start of spring in my book. So I'm really excited for that. It should be a uh, really interesting year across baseball. As we uh, touched on a little bit last week, there's still a ton of big-name free agents that remain unsigned at this point in the year. Both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado still haven't signed. Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell, numerous others, Mike Moustakis, all have not signed anywhere up till this point. So there's still a lot that can happen here before um, pitchers and catchers reporting this week and then either late this week, early next week, position players start to report for um, for all the clubs. So there's a lot to keep an eye on still in the free agent market between then. I think a lot of those players are probably going to sign before the start of camp because they saw how many players uh, didn't sign before the start of uh, spring training last year and how many of them struggled. Wade Davis, Lance Lynn, Logan Morrison, numerous other examples of pitchers who, or players. Carlos Gomez didn't have that good of a year after signing late. Um who didn't have very good years after signing late. So I really think it's going to be a lot of movement is going to happen here within the next two weeks to get everybody into camp and get everybody ready to go. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. And the other big thing that happened across baseball that I'll want to get your opinion here, Kyle, was that um, uh, the owners' meetings happened this past week. So... Uh, among the things they talked about was some rule changes, and there aren't going to be any major rule changes for this upcoming year, it sounds like. But two things that uh, the commissioner said were definitely still on the table but weren't going to happen now is um, the possibility of expanding the designated hitter into the National League, making the DH universal, as well as uh, instituting a 20-second pitch clock onto, uh, onto pitchers. So neither of them are going to happen for this year, it sounds like but they're both things that could happen in the future. I'm wondering what you think about either of those two rule changes, Kyle. So the pitch clock doesn't really come as a surprise. Um, There's been a lot of uh, push for Major League Baseball to try and shorten the length of games, but really if you look at it, the overall, the average for an MLB baseball game is around three hours and four minutes, and the average for an NFL football game is a little over that at three hours and eight minutes. So there's not... There's not a lot of actual um, discrepancy in the length of games between two of the major sports, but there are times where an MLB baseball game does seem to drag on. So I do think the 20-second uh, pitch clock will be beneficial to, towards helping the pace of the game and the speed of the game. So I don't think that's going to be a major issue throughout the season. I think that's just an adjustment that pitchers are going to get used to uh, when pitchers and catchers report here in this week and it's just well, something they won't have to adjust to it because it's not happening this year or well but. It's, it's not but if they adjust if they do implicate it or implement it not implicate implement it in the future uh that's not going to be a terrible adjustment for pitchers the universal dh i think is the more controversial topic right now and i am in favor of them having a universal dh for both the nl and the american leagues even though it's not happening this year 
Uh, I do think it's going to be very beneficial for teams because the NL doesn't have to um, throw out a very slow, very uh, clumsy DH hitter out at, say, first base or uh, somewhere in the field. They can save them for the most opportune time for a great pinch hit opportunity from their DH and hope for some power. Um, the American League has to always finagle their lineups and make sure that, um, well, I guess all their pitching, all their actual position players are out there no matter what, but the DH is helpful. And then you don't have a position that is a guaranteed out in the batting order for at least the first six innings of baseball, since usually most starting pitchers who are forced to hit are in the National League have to make at least two, if not three, batting appearances, depending on the pitcher. And that's generally a guaranteed out, as most pitchers can't hit above .05. Um, There's only a few pitchers who can actually hit for power and actually enjoy hitting, Madison Bumgarner being one, and Zach Greinke being another. DeGrom likes to hit. DeGrom also likes to hit. So that's only three out of organizations who have five starting pitchers in their rotation and the majority of them don't like to hit and are terrible at it. Um, It's also just another safety factor for pitchers. So if a pitcher is batting and they get hit by a pitch, especially if it's on their throwing hand, then they're not going to miss significant, significant amounts of time, which will be helpful for their teams and in the organization, especially if you're a pitcher like Madison Bumgarner and you like to get hit or like to get hurt during the off season all the time. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess I agree with you on the 22nd pitch clock. Initially I was, uh, resistant to the, uh, 22nd pitch clock just cause I don't like changing baseball. I'm, I'm more of a baseball traditionalist and don't like changing baseball, but there are too many people who know more about baseball than me who are saying that this pitch clock is a good idea for me to continue to resist it. So I've come around to it. Also, just watching baseball over the last year, I've come to realize how much more fun it is to watch when pitchers are working quickly. Since that pitch clock has been in the minor leagues now for, I think it's three seasons, a lot of the young pitchers that you have coming up are already working with that idea in mind, right? So you can tell the difference between when one of those pitchers pitches, just like for the Twins last year, when Jose Burrios is on the mound, versus when Lance Lynn was on the mound, right? Those are sort of two polar opposites as far as, like, pace when pitching is concerned. But it was, like, the all-star break last year where Burrios had made, like, two more starts than Lance Lynn, but games that he had started had lasted, or had lasted, like, a total of, like, an hour and a half less despite making two more starts. So it's just amazing what... um, what pitchers who are going to get on the mound and throw the ball can do as far as uh, pace of play is concerned. And so many, so many uh, baseball writers, beat writers who cover, who follow baseball a lot more closely than me, including some, you know, some hall of fame writers like Jason, Jason Stark, among others, uh, are agreeing that the 22nd pitch clock is the way we should go that I uh, can't continue to resist that one. So I'm in favor of that 22nd pitch clock. As far as the universal DH is concerned, I guess, so personally, I like the strategy and sort of, uh, we'll just say the the strategy that having a pitcher in the batting order 
blings in the National League. I love the thinking about double switches, thinking about all the things like that that come along with having a pitcher in your batting order and how you're going to deal with that. That being said, I don't like the fact that the two leagues do it differently because I feel like it gives the National League a slight advantage when it comes to interleague games because a lot of National League teams have somebody that they're happy to put at DH, right? One of their worst defenders who's good at hitting that they're happy to put at DH when they go to American League parks. But when an American League team goes to a National League park, since American League hitters aren't practicing hitting at all, well, National League pitchers are some, the pitchers really don't stand, the American League pitchers don't stand much of a chance. So that gives the National League a little bit of a slight advantage. So I don't think that the league should continue to be different. And because I know that Major League Baseball is never going to get rid of the DH in the American League, that's never going to happen. I feel like going to the universal DH is the correct thing to do, not because I like having a DH better than not having it, but because I think it. I think you need both leagues to have the same rule when it comes to it. So I don't necessarily like the idea of having a universal DH because I like pitchers batting, but I don't like both leagues being different when it comes to that rules. I mean, it's it's one sport. The rules should be the same as far as that goes. Because if you, I mean, if you look at the other two, three major sports, if you want to throw hockey in there, there aren't any rules that are different from the from in the NFL, the AFC, and the NFC. Um, in, in, in the NBA, the Eastern or Western Conference, you don't see anything in football saying, oh, you can't, oh, in the American, or in the AFC, you can uh, have a whole minute on your play clock compared to the NFC only having 30 seconds on the play clock. That, that's not a thing, and everything is the same and congruent between both leagues. So I do think the MLB needs to make this congruent and make the two leagues be the same. Yeah, Wyatt, what are, your th- what are your thoughts? I know we've talked about the 20-second pitch clock with you before. What are your thoughts on that and the universal DH? Um, I'm into both of them. I'm not a baseball elitist like you, and I think that some changes to the sport can be helpful, especially as you guys were talking about the 20-second play clock, um, or pitch clock, sorry. I think it's a good idea. Universal DH I also think is a good idea. That's all I got. That's fair. That's fair. So... Um, before we move on to talking about some more football, because you thought football went away, but it didn't, so stay tuned and you'll get some football. Uh, I've heard that Kyle is a uh, little upset about something that happened over this past week. So, uh, Kyle, can you tell everybody, uh, why you're pissed off this week? So, on Tuesday night, K-State finally beat KU, the first time in four years that's happened. Yay, good for you. So... At the end of the game, with about, with actually between a second and no time left on the clock, uh, K-State had a steal, and they dunked uh, at the to finish the game in a very blatant sign of disrespect, as I took it, and it's just not excusable. If you do that in the NBA, play, like punches are going to get thrown. Now, KU was disciplined enough to, well... And they really had to do it. They were forced to do it because they don't have enough players on their bench to actually play for them anymore. But KU didn't, wasn't too upset about it. But there's there's an inherent respect towards the game and respect towards your opponents. You don't dunk 
on a team, even if it's your rival, when you're up by seven or eight with under a second left in the game. That's just something that is it, – it just comes from a team that I believe is not coached well enough and coached to do things right. That is not something that the Cyclones would ever do without Coach Prome getting very upset about it. And Bruce Weber was calm and collective or collected about the entire situation. They said it was uh, retribution for uh, that happening to them in a game against KU four years ago. There was a lot more time on the clock, and that game was a lot closer, and KU had a big comeback victory. This wasn't a comeback victory for the Wildcats as they had been up most of the game. So I do I do think that was um, something that shouldn't have happened, and I hope that that player was punished adequately during practice but I doubt he was because he's the senior and supposed leader of the team so I thought that was absolutely classless from a team that I thought had more class than that so good job to you Barry Brown for losing all respect to you Um, another thing that Mike and I had differing opinions on this uh, I was a little bit upset about the court storming and I guess a little is an understatement I was very upset upset about it I walk in and I walk in and talk to him about the quote storm, and immediately he's yelling at me. So immediately, I I did not think that that was something that should happen as a team that came in favored in that game and leading the Big Twelve uh, in conference play as um, and they came in first place in the Big Twelve over a team. Yes, they've only beaten them once in four years, but that's your own fault. Play better against your rival. You can't that's that's really inexcusable for if it's a rivalry game, you have to play better. You have to step up and play in those rivalry games like you should. If you haven't beaten them in four years, that's your own fault. You can't you can't it it's I thought it was inexcusable. They were favored in that game. I don't think it should have happened. Yes, they beat a ranked team, but K State should be a ranked team. The AP poll is just absolutely egregious towards K State's ranking right now. A first-place team in the Big 12 with only six or seven losses overall should not be unranked in the polls. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the AP's fault. So, overall, I was a little upset about that. I've uh, I've backed – I've I've gotten over it a little bit in the past couple of days. But, yeah, if they storm the court against Iowa State when Iowa State goes to town, if K-State beats them, you can that, bet that, I will be back on this that, segment that would getting be, pissed off about that again. That would be an easy I was I was okay with the court storming. I mean, you were favored, which is really a knock against them. Usually I'm not in favor of storming the court when you're favored. But given the fact that KU is still ranked above them and that it was a rivalry game, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt just because I haven't I don't know that they've been they haven't had like issues with this in the past, so I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I like court storming personally in the right situations just because it's college and it's fun. So I like the students getting able to have fun and storm the court in those situations. I was okay with this one. I wasn't in love with it, but I was I was willing to let it slide as long as they don't go with another questionable one like this in the near future. I was willing to well, let this slide. So the last time that K State stormed the court against KU, one of the K-State students punched a KU player in the face. Right, but this so, year that didn't happen. That didn't happen, but it's they, always something they, that seems like could happen there because right, they're but, a little upset. But if, if event event security has gotten a lot better with dealing with court storming over the last 
a couple years, two cents because of incidents like that. So that's why I've gotten to be in favor of it some more too. The, but, but the other reason that I'm a little upset about them storming the court in this so-called rivalry game, it's not really a rivalry as a much rivalry. as it, it. KU and Missouri were more of a rivalry than K-State and KU ever were. KU leads the all-time series by over 100 games against K-State. K-State is dismal at playing KU. It's not a rivalry. I, in my opinion, so that's that. That's enough. I don't want to get too more, too much more upset. Kyle's gonna, Kyle's gonna keep getting upset if they, uh, if he keeps talking about this. But I don't know. I don't think the, uh, the, the relative thing has much to do with whether or not it's a rivalry. Because I mean, if you just look at the Iowa State Iowa football rivalry, it's not really close. It's forty-four to twenty-two Iowa over Iowa State, and we still call that a rivalry. That's so irrelevant. That's football. No, that is that is completely relevant to this discussion. So, Kyle. If, do you want to move into more football talk? Because we can move into more football talk. You're just deflecting the, the fact that your point didn't make any sense, and I just so, shut it down. So, if you, if all of our listeners didn't know, there is a new uh, football results don't determine. There is a new uh, football, um, well, it's I guess it's football season all over again. The AAF uh, just started their games, and it's the American... The American Alliance of Alliance, American Football. The Alliance of American Football, yes. So um, one of the things that is important to note about the AAF is it's going to be a, a trial and error uh, for rules that the NFL might begin to implicate or implement, gosh, I've said that again, implement in their games uh, in few, in seasons to come. So one thing that's cool about the AAF is they are, uh, they do have a sky, what's called a sky judge. So there is a referee in the booth, um, a ninth officiate or a member of the officiating crew who will be a sky judge uh, who can, who has the ability to uh, overturn and, uh, and instantly correct, and I quote, obvious and egregious officiating errors um, in this article from the AFI review. Uh, and it's titled, The Seven Major Rule Changes um, That Make the Alliance of American Football Interesting. Um, another thing that's interesting to note is games will start without kickoffs. Uh, this is a nod to player safety, which has been a big uh, controversial topic in the NFL in years past. A shorter play clock will be implemented. Uh, play clock of 35 seconds, which is five seconds shorter than the NFL, trying to uh, reduce the overall time of games. No TV timeouts uh, in AAF football games. So there's no television timeouts during games uh, and fewer commercials to reduce overall game time uh, to roughly 150 minutes instead of 180 minutes. So trying to cut it by about 30 minutes per game. Uh, new overtime rules are being implemented. Uh, overtime will allow both teams to have the ball once, first, and they will get the ball first and goal from the 10. Teams have to score a touchdown and go for two points while field goals are not allowed. So this is a big thing that we were talking about at the end of the season during the playoffs, especially in the, uh, the Patriots and Chiefs games when the Chiefs were not able to possess the ball at all uh, in the overtime um, of that game, which was a big uh, controversial topic, as a lot of a lot of people around the country thought that the Chiefs should have at least had the ball once. So that's something new. 
bye-bye uh, onside kicks, hello onside conversions. So onside kicks are not a part of the alliance. Instead, onside conversions will be a new addition. Uh, so if a team is trolling by 17 points or more, uh, inside of five minutes remaining in the game, they must convert a fourth and 12 from their 28 in order to keep the ball. So that is an interesting thing. I don't see that being implemented in the NFL uh, anytime soon, um, but I do think they, that they should revert their onside kick rules from uh, this year to years past. And there is a limited pass rush. On defense, no more than five players may rush on passing plays, a la no blitzes, um, no house blitzes. Uh, and no defensive player may rush from a position of more than two yards outside the widest offensive lineman and more than five yards from the line of scrimmage. I don't like those. Rules. I don't like that I was, rule. I was I was fine with all of the rule changes you just talked about until that one. I the, I'm I'm a defense guy, and that's not good for defense. The last one's weird, and that would really interrupt the flow and game plan really of an NFL game. So if you if you look back, especially to the Chiefs and the Patriots game in the playoffs. The Patriots would rush more than five players on a regular basis to disrupt the flow and pacing for Patrick Mahomes. And that is what a lot of defensive coordinators strive at doing, and that's a, what a lot of defenses do well. The Vikings do it well. Obviously, the Bears defense did that well this year. The Rams are able to do it well, um, which would mean that, especially in that rule, you couldn't have any cornerback blitzes. Um I as if I'm reading that correctly, no cornerbacks yeah, could, could, well. could blitz on the play, and that's that's generally a big thing because you can disguise that really well. The cornerback is streaking off the outside; they have an open lane to the to the quarterback if the running back doesn't sl shift over and block, and uh, the safety obviously covers up that receiver. I am not not in favor of that rule, but all the other ones I can get behind. Um, I think it would be interesting to see games without kickoffs just for player safety, and a shorter play play clock would be nice. I don't ever see TV timeouts getting taken out of NFL games because the NFL makes too much revenue off of commercials. So, well, the AAF is supplementing TV timeouts with product placement during the game, which I think will. I mean, that's a pretty common thing to do. I know F1 did that this past year with. Uh, Mothers sponsoring all all brackets didn't have any TV breaks or anything, so I think that'll be interesting from a sports point of view. And they're also aiming on keeping the game time like a half hour shorter yeah. than the NFL Which is in total. Big. Yeah, that's, that's big. That's pretty huge. Did you mention that they're not doing one point uh, attempts after a touchdown? They're only allowing two point conversions. There's no one point attempts in the AAF either. In overtime, is it just that's overtime? only in overtime? They, sure they can still I I what source are you seeing that from? Uh, this was from. On 83.11 cast, we're prepared. Uh, Very prepared. Was, that's from the Washington Post. Okay. Uh, they posted that. Um, also, speaking of player safety, they're doing a lot for that as well. Uh, but they're actually having outside organizations take charge of like the, the head, like helmet-to-helmet -helmet type of contact. So innovating. So like the NFL right now is the one who's taking charge of that, I think, for the most part. They're actually hiring outside organizations to take charge of making sure players' heads stay safe during plays. Uh, which I think is kind of well, cool. Well, I mean, the NFL is doing that right now. So I know for a fact mm -hmm. for the Chiefs, the KU uh, Medical Center, KU Med has the primary, uh, they're the primary care physicians for the team, and they have a dedicated doctor set out to watch plays and watch for players. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that the NFL is trying to do, but we'll see if the AAF can do it better. 
I'm actually pretty excited for the AAF. I think there's going to be a lot more football. I think they're going to be more football-oriented than the NFL, isn't it? If I'm not mistaken, I think this is going to kind of rival the XFL. Yeah, for... So, well, the XFL did die out, but the XFL is trying to make a comeback. Yeah, so it's, yeah, going to be, it's... it's going to be interesting to see if the AAF can gain a lot of momentum before the XFL comes back. I believe they're targeting 2022 mm-hmm. as a return. It'd be so... cool to see some competition here. Yes. Um, but in the AAF, there's going to be eight teams. They're doing a four-team format playoff kind of like uh, college football does right there's a eastern conference and western conference in the eastern conference we have the atlanta legends the birmingham iron the memphis express and the orlando apollos and in the western conference the arizona hotshots the salt lake stallions the san antonio commanders and the san diego fleet for this inaugural season so and as you can tell a lot of these teams are based in the south so they play in a lot all of those all of these teams in the south minus i mean salt lake city is the one that's the most is the northernmost so it can get a little chilly there, but you, all of these teams are in the south, so they play in warm weather conditions. Uh, San Antonio does play in the Alamo Dome, mm-hmm. so that's hey, pretty. I've, I've been there. We 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 have <laughs> been there. What's uh, also really cool about that mall being in the south is that each team is designated a territory to draft a qu- one quarterback from, so they can only pull in. That their draft rules are kind of weird, but uh, they're only allowed one quarterback from their territory or something strange like that, but. I think that kind of has to do with the the team locations, but I'm I'm kind of excited to see this. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to follow and uh, see how that does as the season goes on, and really to see how it does if it can survive more than a couple seasons without dying out, like the XFL did and in if, previous years. If it can survive, it'd be interesting to see if NFL teams begin scouting that too, um, and maybe try and sign some players, some free agent players, out of the AAF. I don't know if that's uh, something that can be done or not, but that might be interesting to see if some proven players in the AAF do end up earning NFL contracts. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it'll happen, just like it, it happens in all the other sports that the independent leagues, if when they exist, get players to sign. So I assume I assume it'll happen, but we'll have to see, assuming the league can last. Yeah, that, that's the biggest rule. I just double-checked, and it looks like the AAF is not going to allow extra point attempts, only two-point conversions from the two-yard line. So that'll kind of keep things interesting, I suppose, uh, for the way the way points are going to be set up. But interesting, it'll be interesting. Yep, yep. I'll, I'll be watching some of it. I'm yeah. Sure. Another quick thing I want to note is during the broadcast, they are allowing you to listen to uh, official replay reviews. Um, so that's that's a really cool thing. You can kind of hear uh, inside the process of how that replay is going and how they overturn calls or whether they determine if the call on, or the the play on the field should stand. So, And that'll be cool. That'll kind of quell. Because I know a lot of times you see a, a referee make the call from the booth, and you're like, Why, how the hell did they get how, to how that did conclusion? That yeah. Like, what? So that'll be, that'll be kind of cool to see what the thought process is during uh, the review of the play. So, Cool stuff, though. Cool stuff. Uh, Mike, do you got a rule for us this week, or can we skip your stupid no, hey, rule hey, session? No, no. Oh, come that on. That is the best segment. All in favor skip of skipping his sec- section? I. I. Opposed. <laughs> I, I'm the only one that matters since I'm doing the little segment, so you two don't matter, and we're going to learn about hockey some more again this week. So what we're going to learn about hockey this week is what's called the trapezoid. So the trapezoid is the area behind the goal. So if you've ever looked at a hockey rink, you'll see there's an area behind the goal where there's a trapezoid directly behind the net with uh, two areas in the corner behind the uh, goal line that are outside of it. So the rule is that if you're the goalie, you if you're behind, you can't play the puck behind the net unless 
you are within the trapezoid. So the goalie cannot go into the corners to play the puck. The puck has to be inside the trapezoid to be able to be played by the goalie. If the goalie plays the puck outside of the trapezoid, that results in a two-minute penalty illegal touching on the goalie. So the goalie can touch the puck in the trapezoid if he's still in his little blue crease that's in front of the net. Otherwise, if the puck is outside of the trapezoid, the goalie cannot touch it. It has to be in the trapezoid for the goalie to play it. That is your fantastic rule about hockey. Does that make sense to both of you? You know about the trapezoid now? That was a nice quick rule. Thanks for explaining Why that. is it a trapezoid, not like a square or a triangle or literally any other polygon? Because the base is longer. Like the, the bottom, B2, is, so why not is just longer make, than B1. Just, well, yeah, that, that's how that's what a trapezoid is, but yes. why is it a trapezoid in hockey? Because, that, because the goal circle. is small. Because that gives that gives them more, the further you get behind the net, it gives them a little more space that you can play the puck, which is the goal, because you want goalies to be able to stop pucks that are rolling, that are going a long way around the net. You want them to be able to stop it. So you want them to be able to play it a little bit further when you're further away from the goal. Should have made it a rectangle. But see, then you. But really, hockey is different than soccer. Then you'd really yeah, restrict. Then you'd restrict the area behind the goal even more because right, you don't want to put it out wider than the goal when it's directly at the goal, but you want to give them more space when it's back at the board. So that's why they made it a trapezoid. And I would. I, would, I mean, it's basically soccer though, Kyle. Hockey no. is like ice soccer. That's really small, tiny, tiny, tiny soccer. Do, that's do you, on do, ice do you, with a heavy thing instead of a ball. Do you carry on sticks in soccer? I mean, it's like lacrosse is like soccer. Lacrosse is like hockey. So then, no, I, lacrosse is like land hockey. I like football, and that's the only sport. Well, I like baseball better. I don't like hockey. Bye. You're wrong. Hockey's that's all good. I got. That's all I got. Does does a decent rule. Proud of you, bud. Thank you. Sweet. With the end of my rules segment, we're going to go into our most famous segment. Is it our most famous segment? I'm going to call it our most famous segment. And if it's not, somebody can correct me later. But neither Kyle or Wyatt corrected me, so it's our most famous segment now. And that is our Write That Down segment. So to start off our Write That Down segment, as always, we are going to start with our accountability session. And it is going to be a really short accountability session this week because nothing came off the board. So there's no accountability session this week because all of our predictions uh, didn't come off the board this week. So we will get a couple. A couple for sure will come off the board. At least one will come off the board next week because there's one that involves the Iowa State-K-State game. So tune in next week to hear a, a new accountability session where something will actually happen. Uh, Kyle, would you like to uh, start us off with your write-that-down prediction for the week? Uh, yes, so I was frantically typing this up just now uh, and didn't get all the way through. I had a different one, but I changed that. So uh, my write-that-down prediction this week is K-State will win the Big 12 regular season title, but they will not win the uh, the Big 12 tournament crown as the Big 12 tournament kicks off on the 17th of March, I believe. So win the conference. Win the conference, but not the tournament. Win the conference outright or share the conference? Outright. Outright. Eh. Nah. Mm. Nah. Not gonna happen. What are you gonna give him for? Triple. Ooh, I was gonna say double. Uh, I would give him a triple. That's mm. just not gonna happen. We're gonna turn to our live studio audience to uh, decide whether it's a double or a triple. Live studio audience, what do you say? Triple. 
Live studio audience says triple. Kyle will get a triple for that prediction. Wyatt, what do you got for your prediction? Um, I got that Mariel Shayok will average more. Well, he will score more than 20 points during the K-State game. I wish all of our listeners could see the look on Wyatt's face because that was completely made up on the spot. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, I forgot to write that down. So more than 20 points. More than 20 points. 20 points or more. In? Just in the one game. In one game. Yeah. Versus K-State. Oh, versus Versus K-State, the K-State game. He's He's averaging averaging 19.5, which is slightly less than 20. And after this past game where he couldn't make anything, unfortunately. And he still wound up with 26. Did he really? Oh, no. Yeah, I was thinking of how. Yep. Doesn't matter. He's still going to score more than 20 during K-State. Double. All right. that, That double seems reasonable to me. All right. Now for my write that down prediction. So so Wyatt got a double for that. Yeah. Yes, double. That's what we decided on. My write that down prediction is that the Cyclones win basketball team will lose one or less games for the remainder of the regular season. Can we get the schedule of who they play? Yes. The remaining schedule is at TCU versus Oklahoma State, at Oklahoma versus number one Baylor, at Texas Tech, at number 14, Texas, versus KU. The only two I'm concerned about is Texas and Baylor. You They're said, not going to beat Baylor at home, and they play Texas on the road. I've, Both teams are ahead of them in the Big 12. I know they are. Triple. Triple? You said they, they'll only lose up to one game, right? Correct. They lose at most one game. They're definitely... Uh, I can't say they're... Triple. They're going to lose two. <sighs> okay. Gonna lo- All right. They're going right. to lose on the road at Texas. I don't know. I feel like they can pull Texas it off against Texas. Texas is good. Baylor, I can see them losing against. I'm not saying they're going to lose outright, they, but I think that if they're going to lose a game in that entire you know series, it's going to be against Baylor. Did they, did they beat Texas at home? Uh, no, they lost by two or three, I okay. think. It's going to be close, lost. and they're a damn good team. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, not saying, I'm not saying anything about the women being a bad team. They're a very good team, but that is a very tough place to play because Texas does – have a great women's basketball support because their teams have been good for the last several years. So that's fine. I'm going to give him a triple. That, that's a, yeah. I'm down. Do we have everything from Josh? Is he alive? Uh, Josh alive. was here and left. So, Ooh, our live studio audience of Brian Carrier is going to come we in. We should, we should give, should we give this to Josh? Yes. Then this yep. will be Josh's stand in for the week. Yes. Is Brian Carrier. Welcome to the 8311 cast, Brian. Hello, it's me, Josh Lang. Taller and sexier than ever before. How are you doing, ladies? I'm a hot piece of white meat. <laughs> what is what is your write that down prediction, Brian? My prediction is that uh, the aforementioned dispute in the Major League Baseball about uh, pitch uh, timer and designated hitter will cause a permanent split between the AL and NL. And they will unmerge. Oh, good night, my name is Josh Lang. <laughs> <laughs> Can we even allow that? I don't know. It's not. It's we not going to be determined w- by May. It could be. It, it could, could happen. Be. So we could say it has to happen by the end of, by the time we close, write that downs. Okay. So, it has so to that's happen. a so home I'm, run. I'm amend yeah, Josh that's a home run. Slash Brian, I'm going to amend what you just said and say it has to be completed. B- Brian Carrier is not here. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> it's, it's just Josh Lang. Oh, yeah, so God. that's gonna be a home run. Yeah, definitely. Can we Grand Slam home run? Yeah, home run. It's home the run. same thing. Same thing. It's, it's a pun. 
baseball. It's a pun because it's baseball. Yes. That's, Thanks, that's, Josh. Wow. Are you sure? Okay. All right. And I think are we are we done <laughs> I now? I think we're done. And on that high note, on the high note, on that bombshell. Oh no, BBC, don't come for. So uh, yeah, uh, what's BBC? No, BBC, I'm just kidding. The I know what BBC British is. Broadcasting Company. They've been around for a while. Is that is that a is that a uh, a bull sponsor or is that a, or a bankrupt, or a bankrupt company? company. <laughs> it is wow. neither. We are off the rails. Um, so with the conclusion of the write that down segment, that is the conclusion of the episode. I think we're done talking about stuff now. Uh, huge shout out to Brian Carrier, one live studio audience member. If anybody else wants to drop by 8311 Studios during the recording of the cast, drop us a line on our Instagram at 8311cast, on Twitter at 8311cast, or on our website at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh, and I also want to make a note that Brian Carrier, for all the ladies out there, he's a very good-looking man, but he is not very athletic. So as he was breathing heavy on the podcast, he had to run from his stool to the microphone, which caused him great distress. About five feet away. <laughs> Sexy, heavy breathing, he says. And our other uh, host. I'm, I'm going to sign off, too. Mike's going to sign off. I just, yeah, we're, we're done here. And Wyatt Teeter. Well, tune in next week for episode 19 of the 8311 cast. Just a reminder, on episode 18, we are now legal to buy tobacco products in 44 states in the United States of America. Not 54? No, not 54, because there's only 50 states. And Good night, everybody. Slash morning, slash afternoon, slash we're off the rails. We should just stop. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Beat the Wildcats.